you're a believer, aren't you thankful that the Lord pursued you until you put your faith in Him for eternal life? You know, as I was thinking of that, we can also choose, and I I know in Isaiah, the Bible says, all we, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I know the primary uh, intent of that song is that don't run from the God who loves you, who is pursuing you, so that you can be forgiven of your sin and your soul can be rescued from eternal death. But you know, those of us who are saved, we are the sheep of his pasture. We are his children, but we also are his sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Do you know, maybe there's some Christian here today that you've wandered from the shepherd. You've stubbornly gone your own way. Yes, you're saved. But there are choices that you're making purposely in your life that are choices of disobedience, whether you're doing that, which God forbids. And you say, no, I want that. I'll have it. I don't care what God says in his word. I want that anyway. My friend, you are headed for a cliff. No, your soul cannot be destroyed in hell, in hell, but you can sure wreck your life and have many scars and hurt your testimony. And God wants to redeem you from that pain and that sorrow. So while you honor the sound of the preaching of the word of God and people who love you and are reaching out to you respond. Maybe some of you are still kind of running from the ministry of the Word of God through the revival meetings this last week. The Spirit of God said, you need to do this. May I remind you that James 4, 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Maybe there are some, and God says, and the Good Shepherd says, follow me. And sometimes we say, oh, not there. <laughs> and yet we know that God always leads us out to the right place. And so we need to stop looking at our surroundings and look to our Savior and follow Him. There may be something that God has been calling to you to do and you've been struggling with that. We thank the Lord that He is a patient shepherd, but let me encourage you to yield yourself to Him. Respond to the sound of His voice draw near to Him in obedience today. Take your Bibles now and turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 as we continue our series looking at the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. In Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, we'll read these. We'll end up by, towards the end of the message, actually going back to the passage that Jeff Moore read for us this morning for our scripture reading in Galatians chapter 1. But let's read this account together, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. The Bible records for us, And Saul was consenting unto his death, that is Stephen. Remember that he was martyred, stoned to death by the mob. At that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. First thing I want you to see this morning is that the persecution of the church, and and under that, 
that the persecution now shifted. Remember that the apostles were dragged before the Sanhedrin and they were commanded, don't you go out and preach anymore in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they went back out and they preached again of the Lord Jesus Christ there in Jerusalem, specifically in the temple area on Solomon's portico. And the Sanhedrin drags them back in and, and says, did not we straightly charge you not to do this? And they had them beaten. And the disciples went out and the apostles went out praising God that they were counted worthy to suffer for his sake. And what did they do? They went back out and preached the word again. And God kept saving souls there in Jerusalem. And the church was growing. Several months have gone by. And Stephen is preaching. And a group opposes him, a group of the Jews. He's brought in for a mock trial. He is murdered, not executed. He dies for preaching Jesus Christ. Saul is there and he sees that. And since Stephen was most likely a Hellenistic Jew, you say, where do you get that from? Well, there's a couple of different reasons why I would say that. One of the reasons, even just within the context of the, these early chapters in Acts, was that it was the Hellenistic Jewish people the ladies the, the widows remember uh, that they were saved out of most of these believers at this point the church in jerusalem were jews okay and so you had those that were more the traditional uh, jews the hebrew jews and they followed the hebrew customs and then you had the hellenistic jews which had the greek philosophy and the, and the greek influence most of them being influenced because they had scattered out from israel proper into bordering countries in the known world and that that greek influence which was an international influence was part of that which became adopted in their thinking in their lifestyle now these folks remember had come to jerusalem at the at the celebration of pentecost and peter and the apostles empowered by the holy spirit and preaching the word of god many of them were saved and then they tarried there in jerusalem and we understand how even we remember how uh, then how, how Barnabas uh, sold lands and he gave the money to the apostles because many of those who had come from those different regions were staying in Jerusalem because they wanted to grow. They wanted to be with the church. The only church, local body of believers was there at that time at Jerusalem. This is the very beginning in the nucleus of Christ's church. And so there was great financial need. Many of them did not have homes. They did not have jobs. And so they, were, they needed some financial help. And so the believers would do that. They'd sell possessions. They'd give the money to the apostles. The apostles would distribute to the needs. And of course, we understand that part of that distribution was for those who were widows. And the Hellenistic Jewish believer widows were neglect, being neglected in the daily ministrations. Whether that was inadvertent or purposeful, the Bible does not say. But the apostles say, look, it's not mean, it's not fitting that we should leave the ministry of preaching and teaching the word of God and of prayer in order to just administrate this. So... Look out from among you seven men, and they gave spiritual qualifications, these being deacons. And the deacons then began to administer this. Stephen was one of those deacons. And so I am sure that the majority, if not all the deacons, most of the deacons would probably have come from a Hellenistic Jewish background. And they were going to make sure that the Hellenistic widows, as well as the, the more traditional Hebrew Jewish widows, that the needs were, were being met in an equitable way so that no one was being uh, accidentally missed. So we believe that 
the majority of the persecution now that was being turned against, not just from the apostles, but now to the church, the body of believers, that many of them were Hellenistic Jews, and that they are the ones who begin to scatter abroad. They're going back to where they came from. Now, again, we see the providence of God that it had been, uh, it was several months time that had passed before this begins to happen. And so they'd had an opportunity to be established in biblical doctrine and teaching. They were growing, they were being equipped. Uh, they were able to proclaim the gospel. And the Bible says that in verse 4. We'll look at that in a few minutes. That wherever they went, they were scattered abroad preaching the word. But I want you to see that this persecution was led by able men. These men, and specifically Saul here, was a very able, gifted man. One writer says, Saul, the principal agent, speaking of the persecution, was young, zealous, learned, and clothed with power. He showed afterwards, speaking of when he was converted, when he was saved, that he had talents suited for any station and zeal that tired not with exertion and that was appalled by no obstacle. With this talent and this zeal, he entered on his work of persecuting the Christians. The Christians were few and feeble. They were scattered and unarmed. They were unprotected by any civil power and exposed to the full blaze and rage of persecution. That the church was not utterly destroyed was owing to the protection of God. A protection that not only secured its existence, but which extended its influence and power by means of the very persecution. And it scattered the gospel far beyond the reaches of the borders of Israel. This persecution was widespread. It was violent. It was intended to wipe out Christianity completely. If you look back in our text, the Bible says that, that, that verse 3, Saul made havoc of the church in, uh, in Psalm chapter 80 and verse 3. The Bible says, the boar goeth out, goeth out of the wood, doth waste it. Speaking of a vineyard and the wild beast of the field doth devour it. Um, uh, in South Carolina, my dad has some hunting property. We go deer hunting. We've really cultivated it for deer hunting. Um, but we had a time when we had wild hogs that would come onto that property. And uh, so we would shoot the wild hogs. And I don't know if you know much about wild hogs, but wild hogs can have several litters of piglets a year and an average size of seven to nine piglets in a litter. So they multiply very quickly. And so uh, they're very destructive. And we could tell whenever the hogs were on the property or moving through the property because they would just tear up the woods. They would just root and tear up and make a huge mess. And so when the psalmist talks about a wild boar coming out and making havoc, he's talking about destruction, tearing apart a vineyard, destroying that which was productive. And that's kind of, that's the same idea here because uh, the Septuagint uses the same word for havoc here as it talks about the, the wild boar wasteth the vineyard. Same word, okay? So it's talking about utter destruction. Saul's bent and those who joined him, now that the popularity of the Christians had gone down uh, because of Stephen stoning, now that public opinion was starting to turn against the Christians, Saul and the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees became united against destroying the church. And Saul was one of the principal agents or persecutors uh, against the Christians at this time. And his idea or his goal was to utterly wipe out and destroy Christianity completely. But I also want you to see that persecution was not occasioned by every unbeliever. Look back, if you would, in verse 2. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And Bible scholars are unanimous on this, that they believe, and I believe this is true, 
that these men were not Christians at this point, that these were devout Jews. One said it was a mark of the devout that they paid great attention to the proper burial of the dead and that those who had died by execution, no less than others, but though criminals should be properly buried, it was forbidden that they should be publicly mourned. The fact then that these devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him might furnish an argument in support of the view that he was not legally put to death, but was lynched by the mob. Another writer said these pious Jews, probably impressed with, the, and with admiration for Stephen, were secretly inclined to Christianity, but had not yet openly declared it. This was kind of a, a step in that direction. Another writer said, since Jewish law prohibited open mourning for someone that had been executed, Luke's record suggests that these devout men publicly repented of Stephen's murder. So not all of the Jews were going along with this persecution of the church. And some were sincere, devout men mourned Stephen and they buried him. They made great lamentation over him. So understand that though the persecution was widespread and many agreed with it, not everyone agreed with it. And Stephen was given great respect and honor um, even after he had been murdered. Look at the proclamation of the gospel. The Bible says, And they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. That was in verse 4. But look in verse 1. The Bible says at the end of verse 1, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so we know that there was a church in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, Paul actually writes and says, look, we need to take up a persecution for the church that was at Jerusalem. So not every Christian left Jerusalem and it was only the, the apostles. We know that there was a core believers, probably those that were native to Jerusalem and that surrounding community that stayed there. And God grew the church still there in Jerusalem. But other believers, maybe some that had, had been in, from other regions within Judea, which was, was one of the three areas. Israel in that day was divided into three different sections. Galilee in the northernmost region, Samaria in the middle, and, and Judea in the bottom. And so they scattered throughout Judea. They left the city and kind of scattered out throughout the region of Judea. Some went up into Samaria. And then the Bible talks about that they scattered abroad. In other words, they were scattered beyond just Judea and Samaria to other regions of of the known world. And so the apostles and some of the Jerusalem church stayed, continued to proclaim the gospel, but many believers were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Does that sound familiar? How about Acts 1.8? And ye shall be witnesses unto me, right? Both in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And now in this persecution, God, who inhabits or who dwells in all of eternity, God who is not limited by chronological time, we see that what he told the apostles in Acts 1 is coming to pass here in Acts chapter 8. And specifically, they go into Judea and Samaria, and then they begin to scatter throughout the world. And whatever believe, wherever the believers were scattered, they proclaimed the gospel. Now this word for preaching it's sometimes when people say, well, were these then, were these, were, these, were these pastors, were these people ordained to the ministry? I mean, were these men gifted as, as preachers like the apostles were? No, it's talking about believers. And it's just talking about, hey, folks who were saved. And they knew how to share the gospel. And wherever they went, they shared the gospel. Literally what it's saying is that the word can be translated, they gospelized. 
Okay? So, matter of fact, tonight we're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That will be our text for tonight. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, For I delivered unto you that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and then he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. But in the very first verse, he talks about what he preached was the gospel. And the word therefore preached is the same word translated here for preached, and it literally means gospelized. It's kind of the verb form of gospel. And so that's what these believers did. Wherever they were scattered abroad, they gospelized. One writer said, hey, just like these early Christians, we also can share the good news of what Jesus has done in our lives. Most people don't come to Christ through a preacher, but through people just like us. I like that. They announce the good news, the message of God's mercy and grace through the word of God. They were manifestly, one writer said, common Christians who were scattered by persecution. And they communicated to their fellow men in conversation wherever they met them the glad tidings that Messiah had come. It is not said that they set themselves up for public teachers, that they administered baptism, that they founded churches, but that they proclaimed everywhere the news that a Savior had come. Their hearts were full of it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. They made the truth known to all whom they met. Hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, we who have been saved, what great news to know. Our sins have been forgiven. We have a new nature. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have an eternal glorified body awaiting us. We get to spend all of eternity in the presence of our Savior in an eternal future beyond human imagination or description. Do you know what? Our hearts ought to be full with rejoicing. And we ought to be so excited about the gospel because our hearts are full of the love of Christ. And we are adoring our Savior and we are so overwhelmed with His love for us and that He would save a poor sinner like me. What amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And the wonder of that ought to fill our hearts to where we cannot help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. We've witnessed what God has done in our lives and we share the gospel. I can remember one time when we were traveling in evangelism, we were at a Flying J truck stop. I liked Flying J truck stops because they usually had RV islands and you could pull in there and you could get on this little phone thing and they'd call in uh, to the, uh, into the front desk and say, hey, I need some propane tanks filled. And they'd have a guy come out that could fill your propane tank. You could fuel up your truck. Uh, and you could also many times dump your holding tank, your septic tank in your trailer. And so it was a kind of a great one shop stop uh, if you have a fifth wheel trailer. Plus, it's easy to get in and get out when you're maneuvering a 43 foot trailer and a, and a full size dually pickup truck. And I can remember one day I was at a Flying J in the RV island and I'm pumping fuel. And this guy from over in the semi-truck section comes over to me and he's excited. He said, hey, there's a guy that just hit it big in the lottery and he's handing out $100 tickets. Go get yours. They're inside. He's inside. <laughs> I didn't go get one. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> I've had that question. Did you get one? No, I didn't get one. But you know what? It's interesting that man was sharing what to him was good news. You got a chance to win a million dollars. 
He's giving out free lottery tickets. They're worth 100 bucks a piece. He just hit the lottery big. He bought all these tickets at 100 bucks a piece. He's handing them out left and right. You can, you can hit it big. Any guarantee that if I went and got a ticket, I would win that money? No. But how about this? Is there a guarantee that Jesus Christ will forgive a sinner of his sin and give him eternal life? If he will stop trusting in himself, if he'll acknowledge himself a sinner before God, if he will believe and own in his heart and understand that Jesus, the perfect sinless son of God, came to earth, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law that we have all broken, died on the cross cross in suffering and agony as the full and final sacrifice for sin. That this same Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. It's the living Son of God who personally knows and loves each individual and wants to forgive them and give them eternal life. And if that person calls on the name of the Lord, you know what the promise is? Romans 10, 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not a lottery ticket. It's not a maybe so. It's a no-so. Folks, if some truck driver can get excited about a guy who hit the lottery and is giving away lottery tickets to give other people a chance at wealth, which, by the way, is fleeting, is it not? How much more should we, who have received the gift of eternal life, and know that God is as good as His promise and has promised eternal life to those who will trust in Him? That we would not share that. These believers were under persecution and they scattered abroad. And wherever they went, they weren't going into hiding, folks. They were fulfilling the Great Commission. And they were proclaiming the gospel. And the apostles in some of the church stayed at Jerusalem and suffered the persecution and kept proclaiming the love and truth of Jesus Christ And God protected his church, but he also grew his church. And then the providence of God. Take your Bibles and turn over to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to look at part of the scripture reading from this morning. Galatians 1, begin in verse 13. We'll kind of skip around a little bit. But I want you to think with me this morning a little bit. I want you to see the providence of God because who was present as a, an official formal witness to Stephen's stoning. Saul. They laid their garments at his feet, the false witnesses, on whose lies the Sanhedrin used the excuse to drag Stephen out of the city, cast him headlong over a precipice, and then the false witnesses took stones. They had to be the first ones. So they take off their, clo- their outer garment, they would lay it down, at a witness's feet that was a formal identification of the witness and that that they were the witnesses and that this man was witnessing the witnesses carry out the execution and Stephen standing hey Stephen would have heard the preaching would he have not Saul heard Stephen preaching as Stephen is preaching this Saul would have been one of those young men standing there who would have been grinding gnashing their teeth in anger at what stephen was preaching he saw stephen die he heard stephen's prayer lord lay not this into their charge 
He saw that, that almost angelic look on Stephen's countenance before they dragged him out of the city to stone him when he said, I see the heavens open and Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father. He saw Stephen. He saw his countenance. He saw his faith. He saw him die for Christ. That was no accident. God had Saul there. He saw, he heard Stephen's message. He witnessed his death, heard his prayer. Then Saul experienced the faithful response of persecuted believers. He would drag men and women and hail them off to prison and have them incarcerated. They'd be held on trial. And if they could come up with any pretext that under Roman law would, would give an excuse for the Romans to execute him, they would try to come up with those charges to see how many Christians they could have executed. And as Saul would drag them off to prison, and as he would see them on trial, he witnessed the faith and the hope and the confidence that these believers had. Their lives were transformed by the gospel. He saw that. Saul tried to stamp out Christianity, but God grew his people and his kingdom. By the way, study the history of the church, and you will find that every time that Satan tries to stamp out Christianity in any region of the world through severe persecution, all he actually does is spread it. Because God is sovereign. And then Saul was saved, transformed, and commissioned to spread the gospel that he once destroyed. Look in Galatians chapter 1. In verse 13, you've heard of my conversation, how I lived in times past in the Jewish religion, and that beyond measure, beyond measure, persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jewish religion above many of my equals in my own nation being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers he fell for the common mistake that many of the Pharisees made that they equated the tradition of their fathers to be equal in authority and veracity with the actual scriptures he was sincere he was zealous he was talented he wouldn't quit But look at this in verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, the eternal God had a plan for Saul's life and transformed him by his grace into the apostle Paul. And verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Now look at this. Down in verse 20. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Verse 22. And it was, I was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith with what which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Sometimes the most violent persecutors of the faith become its greatest advocates by the power of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So what is our application this morning? There are several as we come to our time of invitation. In a moment we'll stand. Our musician will play him. We as the pastors will be here in the front. If you would like to come here to the front and kneel and pray and do business with God, we welcome you to do that. 
if you don't know for sure where you're where you would spend eternity my first my first challenge is to you the gospel message of salvation is for you trust jesus for the forgiveness of your sin receive the gift of eternal life by faith you say pastor todd i'm not sure how to do that we have trained bible prayer partners and counselors if you come forward and let one of us pastors know hey i want to make sure i know that i'm going to heaven my sins have been forgiven i want to be right with god anything like that we'll know what you mean we'll have a trained prayer partner join with you take you to a quiet place sit down with you and show you the way of salvation from the scriptures it's very simple only take a few minutes and you can pray in simple faith and call on christ and he will forgive you he'll give you eternal life he promised he would he always has he always will honor his promise for those who are believers let's be faithful when persecuted because god is using your example and testimony as part of his redemptive plan in the lives of others saul saw stephen stephen not only preached the word he backed it up by being willing to sacrifice his life and saul saw stephen's example and it impacted him And when we take a stand for Christ, whether it is with our extended family or whether it is in the workplace or in our very own neighborhoods, when we stand for Christ, when we proclaim the gospel, even when we are persecuted, when we respond with love, with grace, with forgiveness, with the gospel, God uses that influence. And we might not even see it. Stephen did not see Saul trust Christ. Maybe God allowed him to look over the battlements of heaven and see when Saul trusted Christ and how God used him. But you know what? Right now, Stephen and Paul are together in the presence of our Savior. Can you imagine what that reunion must have been like? When Paul was beheaded in Rome also as a martyr for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure he spent a lot of time with the Lord Jesus Christ first. But I wonder if you looked around and there standing to the side waiting for him was Stephen. Can you imagine what that conversation must have been like? Because Stephen was a faithful proclaimer of the gospel. He was loyal to the Lord. He was a faithful witness, and God used his example to the very end. Be faithful when you're persecuted, because God's going to use your example, your testimony, even if you don't see it. Your testimony is vital. Don't compromise it. Don't yield. Don't bow the need, the knee to Satan and to lies and to compromise. Stand for Christ in love. And so with that, I would say the next challenge is this. Choose faith over fear and boldly proclaim the gospel wherever you go hey it's getting warmer spring and summer are upon us many will be going on vacation when you're on vacation are you gospel minded vacation even can be a time we kind of get a little selfish and where thinking about being a gospel witness or having an influence in somebody's life 
might not be something on the forefront of our minds, I pray that the Holy Spirit will even use this challenge right now when you're on vacation this summer to motivate you to realize, look, I may not be being scattered abroad by persecution. I'm going to another place to be on vacation, but you know what? God allowed me and he provided for me to take this vacation. There may be somebody that I'm going to meet that God has a divine appointment for me to meet that I may share the gospel and plant the seed of the gospel or water the seed of the gospel. There may be somebody that's been praying for that person for months or even years and I may be part in that process, one of the links in their life story that will draw them to salvation in Jesus Christ. So let's boldly and lovingly proclaim the gospel wherever we go, even on vacation. And then this, and I'd like for us to really do this this morning, whether you come forward and kneel and pray, whether you respond about other things that God is doing in your life, through the ministry of his Holy Spirit, all of us who are born-again believers, I'm going to ask you to join me as we pray for the persecuted church. You realize that right now we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are being tortured in prisons around the world because they're believers, unashamed for the gospel. They're not being belligerent. They are boldly proclaiming the gospel. And they are being severely persecuted There are families, Christian families, who've lost loved ones who have been martyred. Let's pray that God will use the testimony of those martyrs to be a gospel light where they are and even reach beyond where they are to have an influence that will scatter the influence of the gospel to other regions. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We're going to pray and then we'll stand. It may be that you would like to come here to the front and kneel and pray. It may be that you would like counsel from the Word of God, or if you don't know for sure where your soul would spend eternity, please come forward, talk to one of the pastors. We'll be down these front aisles. We would love to pair you up with someone who can help you from the Word of God. Maybe that you need counsel in something else, something God's worked in your heart. You want to do business with God? I would encourage you to be willing to walk the aisle and bend the knee before God as an expression of, of your definite decision and your humility before him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. And it gives us the, these true accounts. And it's not just a record of history. These things are written for our admonition Thank you for the testimony and the example of Stephen. Thank you for this this account where Saul is vehemently persecuting the church, wanting to stamp it out. But you, Father, confronted him on the road to Damascus. You, in your perfect timing and through a series of events, I believe including this as a pivotal part. Stephen's testimony and his message and his martyrdom were, were a vital part that you invested in Saul coming to faith in your son, Jesus Christ, and becoming the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Lord, for this example. We don't know what we'll face. We may never face persecution on as great a scale as, as the early church did. We may never have to yield up our lives like Stephen did. But every one of us can be like the believers that were scattered abroad. Everywhere they went, they proclaimed the word because it was in their heart. Because their lives had been transformed and because they saw men not merely as other human beings, but as having eternal souls. 
Oh, Lord, would you put that burden and passion in our hearts as well? Oh, Lord, if we should be chosen for the honor of being persecuted for your sake, give us the grace to lovingly and graciously stand faithful to you and use our example that others may be drawn to Christ, that brothers and sisters in Christ may be strengthened and encouraged and emboldened in their faith. And so we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted, even now, that you would comfort the families of those who have lost loved ones because they've been martyred for your name's sake. Meet their needs, provide for them, and use them. For the brothers and sisters in Christ who are imprisoned, maybe being tortured for their faith, oh, Father, strengthen them. And may they have the loving compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ as you would do a supernatural work in their hearts that would cause them not only to have a godly testimony, but as you would give opportunity to reach out to fellow prisoners and to those uh, who are guards, uh, there are others who are their torturers, whatever opportunity they may have to witness the gospel. Lord, what an incredible reunion heaven will be. And we will be in the presence of those who faithfully stood for you, whether in the distant past or even in our own lifetime. May we be able to stand before you someday on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray, Lord, these things in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. Would you stand with me now? And would you come so we can be of spiritual help to you? If you want to kneel here at the front and pray, you may. If you'd like spiritual help, you want to talk to somebody, come and see one of us pastors. It would be our privilege to serve you.